Hi, everybody, and welcome to Phillies Backstage. I'm Tom Burgoyne, joined by John Brazier. What's up, Tom? Hello, John. Uh, early morning this morning. I know. Well, we're going to have to ask him what he does early this morning because we just had a big night game last night. Yeah, we did. A walk-off. We are recording this on Tuesday. Right. So this is after a big walk-off home run by Bryson Stott. Not quite walk-off. Oh, not walk-off. Sorry. We needed three outs. A, yes, you're right. So a big... Uh, <laughs> Yes, game-changing home run by Bryson Stott. Yeah, but we have Rob Thompson with us, our manager. How you doing, Rob? I'm doing great. Great it, to be here, fellas. You know, we had Sam Fold on uh, last month, and it was after a big win. And I just you know, the first question was, how much better is winning than losing? <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. You know, and we came out of the break and we lost three in a row to uh, the Cubs, and uh, so last night was just just a huge win. It really was. I mean, baseball is such a game of momentum, right? So we. We, before the All-Star break, you go down to Miami. The Marlins have always been a notoriously tough opponent for us. Yeah, right? thorn in our side. Thorn in our side, yeah. but you know we, we sweep. And then we go to the All-Star break feeling great. Then you get swept by a team that's, what, 20 games under 500. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you come back and beat one of the best pitchers in the game, right, uh, on a home run by, by a, a young player. Yeah, it's just the ebbs and flows of the season because prior to the Miami series, we had lost four in a row. And so we were, you know, we went into that series and, and, and played really well. And we pitched really well. So you get the momentum. All of a sudden, the break hits. You get four days off. Come out of the break, and you kind of flat, kind of rusty. Uh, lose three in a row to a team that, that arguably you should beat. Um, but so last night was, again, it was just huge. And it's got to be exciting, too, with um, all the young players. Uh, and they've been doing it all year. But really, since you've kind of taken over, you see guys like, you know, Bryson Stott last night. You see Matt Veerling. You see uh, Derek Hall. You see, uh, well, I mean, Garrett Stubbs with some uh, great moments. So it's got to be very exciting for you, especially someone from a player development background, to see these young guys uh, perform well. Yeah, it's really neat, you know, because, like you said, I spent a lot of years, 16 years in player development. So um, my goal always as a coach, manager, field coordinator, farm director was to see our young guys go to the big leagues. And so now I sit in this chair and, and it's just fantastic seeing these guys come and then they perform and they bring this energy level that, you know, the veterans sometimes don't have because they've been around it and they, you know, they're used to it. But these, these guys come in here and they just, inject energy across the board. The performing Stott is doing great. Veerling is really playing well. Um, you know, Derek Hall has had some big hits for us. It's just, it's just so infectious. And Nick Maton, when he came up, did, did great things for us. So it's really neat. Um, kudos to our player development system. Um, and these guys have come up here and they've, they're relaxed now and, and they're used to it and they're playing well. Yeah, nice. And you mentioned the All-Star game, and not that you would use it as an excuse, but can it be a momentum killer uh, some seasons? Have you seen that before? Yeah, I've seen it where um, it's it's worked both ways. Um, you, know, you go into the break and come out of it and kind of down, you're kind of rusty. I've also seen it where the break just gives everybody rest, and they come out and they're refreshed, and off we go. And uh, we came out of the break one year in New York and won eight or nine in a row. You know, and we were really scuffling up to that point. So uh, you never know what's going to happen. But, um, you know, I, I hope we're on a upward trend now. 
Yeah. yeah. Rob, you've had a great career and I love, um, I love how people's journey, right? Cause baseball, sometimes, you know, you're a great player, you step into something. Sometimes you're a minor league guy, never make it to the majors. And there's sometimes you go through player development. Some guys just get into coaching right away. You know, let, let's go back, uh, in time. Uh, you grew up in, uh, Sarnia, right? Yeah, Ontario, Canada, which is, yeah. I guess, close to Detroit, yep, right? Yeah. Uh, closer to Detroit than Toronto. That's correct. Yeah. Um, so I guess my first question is: Growing up, uh, were you more of a Tigers fan, or are you oh, more yeah. of a so more of Tigers oh, than, yeah. than Blue Jays? Tiger fan. Well, when I was growing up, the Blue Jays didn't even. Oh right, exist. obviously. Oh. So I was always a Tiger fan. My father was always a Tiger fan. Our whole family, and so we often we were an hour from old Tiger Stadium. So often we'd drive down and and catch a Tigers game, sit in the upper deck, and and. You know, have something to eat and, and watch Mickey Lolich and Al Kaline and Willie Horton and all those great players of the past. And and that's kind of, you know, where I fell in love with the game. In that old stadium, too. That, oh, that was, was a bar. Oh, it was great. It really was. <laughs> and when you're up top there, you're really up top. Oh, yeah. Right? And it's downhill. Yeah. If you yeah. want to go down and get something to eat. <laughs> now, you're also, I, I grew up playing ice hockey. I played mites, squirts, peewees, you know, bantams all the way through high school. So you did the same thing, right? Oh, yeah. So winter was hockey. And then summer was baseball. So I played hockey until I was uh, 16 or 17 years old. And then I chose to to do the baseball route. And it, it worked out. Went to junior college in Port Huron, Michigan. And then I went to the University of Kansas. And then I was drafted in 1985. And you had a couple uh, older brothers, really yeah. older brothers that, who were into baseball. Your one brother was, I guess, drafted by the Expos, right? Yeah. So at that time, Canadians couldn't get drafted. So he would sign actually as kind oh. of a free agent. But hmm. um, he got to double A and, and uh, he was kind of a uh, backup catcher all mm-hmm. the way through. He only played one year and then he got released and it was just something he wanted to try and see. And, uh, you know, he went back and got his engineering degree and, and now he's, he's retired, but he had three companies. He had three companies and very successful. So, um, but yeah, two older brothers, I was always the bat boy. I, you know, my father was a coach and, and so, it, you know, it was, the game was just part of my life. Yeah, were you, were you the younger brother? Like they're, you're getting dragged to games, and you know you're oh, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, and being teased, and go get us, go get me a hot dog, and yeah. go go pick up that ball over there and grab the bat. Yeah, yeah, I was the guy. Could you have gone the hockey career? No, no, no. So I you're a better baseball player than <laughs> yeah. hockey player. I, I I was a stay-at-home defenseman that uh, I could check, and at that time you could fight back then when you were kids. But um, yeah, I wasn't very talented. I, I tell you what, you know, growing up in Philadelphia playing hockey, we went up, we had a home and home series with a team from Mississauga, yep. uh, Arendale, I think the team was called. Uh, and I just remember just going up to Canada. That's, you know, when you grew up in Philadelphia playing hockey, you're like, oh my God, that's the Mecca, right? Yeah, sure. Canadian, it still is. We're, yes, totally intimidated playing against Canadian teams. Well, uh, John's real claim to fame is because uh, we grew up here, Rob, and, uh, you know, the Broad Street Bullies were our, were our team. And uh, John has had the opportunity to play with those guys in some of the alumni games. Yeah, I play, I play like five, six times with the Flyers alumni, and I'm, the only, right? I'm the only non-NHL guy in there. So I'm, you know, trying to keep quiet, and I was totally intimidated. And then I started, you know, the more you get out there with Joe Watson and Brian Propp and, you know, all those guys, so much fun. It was Did big. you ever drop, drop the gloves yeah. with Schultz? <laughs> no. Yeah. no but Schultz, you just I, didn't drop them. But, with I, the hammer. but I did play with, with Dave one time, and... 
And what happens is you play against these uh, all-star men's league teams, right? And when they see Dave Schultz out there, what do they want to do? They want to try to pick a fight with Dave sure. Schultz so they can go to the bar the next day or <laughs> sure. go to work and say, yeah. I, I got in a fight in a hockey yeah. game against Dave Schultz. And Dave Schultz, on, from his perspective, he'd come off the bench and say, I'm going to kill these guys. I, this is, I'm going I, I, to have to stop because I literally might kill somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So, right. Uh, did, and you, that, did you like those teams? Uh, I did. The flyer you know, teams back then? Uh, because that was kind of my type yeah. of hockey. Now, growing up, I was a Toronto Maple Leaf fan. Yeah. Um, but, but I did enjoy watching the Flyers because, you know, Bobby Clark was a great player. Rick McLeish, uh, they, they played the game tough. Um, a little dirty at times, but, but <laughs> I don't mind that sometimes. So. Yeah, see, he had like Borgia Salming, you know. Yeah, like that's the, right. He had like this, yeah, like, it's, it's, it's this great skater, this and that. <laughs> yes. And then you get the Joe Watsons and the Dave <laughs> Schultz yeah, yeah. and the Bob, Bob Kelly, Kelly. Like just beating on people. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> that's right. I remember pl- playing the Flyers in the playoffs one year. Uh, the Leafs playing the Flyers in the playoffs, obviously. And and they just eliminated Salming. They, they, every time he, touch the puck they just beat him up that was <laughs> yeah. that was the end of it. they just rolled over they just rolled over the leaves well i love the story when the flyers played and we've we had we've had joe watson we've had bernie perron on our podcast uh when we played the we were one of the last teams to play against the russian you know the, oh, yeah. uh, the, 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 the red army and they walked off the ice they, they did, did. Yeah. They, uh, ed van imp gave somebody like a like hip check like right just knocked him down yeah. across and, they, and then that. then joe told the story that uh, Ed Snyder went in there and said, you're not getting paid if you guys don't get out there, you know, play the rest of this game. Yep. And obviously they wanted to get paid and they came out there and, and it was great. I think the Flyers were one of the few teams to beat the Red Army. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And I yeah. remember watching that game on TV because they did this, you know, a circuit, I guess. They played Montreal and Toronto and Philly and the Rangers. I, I forget who they played, but I think Philly was maybe the only team that beat them. I think so. And, and yeah. the interesting thing, too, on that was that Fred Shiro actually went over to Russia and learn techniques of like what the Russians did. So he was well versed on you know how, right. the, how the Russians you know played. And they, as you know, they just they just skated, skated circles, and they just moved the puck quickly. Sure. And the Flyers basically just kind of stood at that blue line and basically you know just beat the, <laughs> beat the heck out of them. That's right. one way to do it. Yeah, that's right. Build a wall. Hey, yeah. Uh, Rob, you're wearing your KU shirt today, yep. uh, and you know we're talking about your history. And um, you know, uh, you're, you, what do you remember? Uh, you know, from from those years. I mean, uh, great school, great tradition, right? Yeah, really great school, and you know, a basketball school. Obviously, um, our our baseball team wasn't that good, but we had we had good players, and we had good coaching, and um, we just we played in a really tough. Big, it was the Big Eight then, and Oklahoma State and Oklahoma, they were fantastic, and uh, we just couldn't get over the hump. But um, great schooling. Um, I had a wonderful time. I have a lot of friends there, still keep in touch and visit. I like to go in the winter and see a basketball game at, at Allen Fieldhouse. And uh, if you haven't done that, that you need to put that on your bucket yeah, list because yeah, that's yeah. a fantastic. Yeah, that's right up there with, with Cameron and yeah, uh, Pauly Pavilion and, and uh, the Palestra and the Palestra, right? Yeah. Uh, you, now you also do you still have the highest single season batting average record? I'm not sure. 
Because that's have to look that up. I mean, you never I know, trust I Wikipedia, no but it still says you hold the school records. So. Is that right? Yeah. It also said in Wikipedia that you pitched one game. Uh, well, no, not I guess after you uh, you went to Detroit, uh, got drafted yeah. by the Tigers yeah. and was in their system, but uh, and I, third base um, catching, but also you pitched a game. Well, it was one of those games that we were bl- getting blown. Oh, okay, out. Right, right. Right. just let me do it, and I'll. Your teammates that. said, "Did you get voted to be the guy who's no, going to pitch that?" I think I went to the manager and said, "Look." I um, we're out of this game. If you need somebody to pitch, just let me pitch, and I'll I'll turn the lights out when we're done. <laughs> and how, how'd you do? Did you do okay? Uh, I don't I don't really remember. Uh-huh. I don't really remember. But. And, and this is the part too. Like I I love the journey. Again, we talked about that earlier. So in '88, you stop. You realize you know that's probably not your yep. career. Was was it somebody that nudged you into coaching? Was it somebody that uh, that was you know? I mean, did you have a mentor that said you know what, Rob? I think you ought to you know I think you'd make a good coach. That'd be a good career. Or did you just fall into it? How did that happen? Well, back then in the minor leagues, um, each team had a manager, and that's it. There's no pitching coach, no hitting coach, no extra coach. Um, so the manager had to do it all. And so um, it was in spring training, and I, I was on the double-A roster, and I got sent back to the A-ball roster. And, and I knew – I mean, I could I could evaluate then, and i looking around, and I knew that I, I didn't have a shot here. There was a bunch of younger guys that were running circles around me. So I went into uh, Joe McDonald, who was the farm director at the time, and, and told him, I, th- I think it's – I've just been married, and I think it's time for me to, to hang it up. And he said, well, before you leave, um, please come back and, and see me. So I went back, and, and he asked me if I wanted to be the first Detroit Tiger extra coach in, in their system hmm. because we had a manager. His name was Johnny Lippon, who had been in the, in the game for years, and he was – I don't know how old Johnny would be at the time, but he was probably in his 60s, maybe late 60s, and he needed help with throwing batting practice and hitting fungos and things like that. So um, I, th- I guess Joe had talked to Johnny, and Johnny I, I, Johnny had coached me before, and, and so we knew each other, and, and so he, he agreed to take me on, and that's where I got my start. And so I was in the Florida State League that year and went to A the next year with Chris Chambliss, yeah. former Yankee and great player. And um, I spent a the year there and then I went to the Yankees and I was with the Yankees for now who brought years. you over from the Yankees. Uh, actually Dick Roach. So it's, it's a good story. The year I was in the Eastern league in double a at the end of the year, they were trying to expand the game globally. And so the Eastern league sent um, kind of an all-star team and a bunch of coaches to Russia to do camps and, things like that just to grow the game and um so i went to russia i represented the tigers and one of the people that went from the yankees was dick roach who was my junior college Mm. coach he's the guy that signed Derek jeter and um so we were talking and um he he was asking me you know what i made and did i enjoy it and blah 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 and and so by the by the time i got back i'd gotten a phone call from george bradley with the yankees and he asked me to, to to come and I'd, I got permission from Joe McDonald, and um, and then I, I went to the Yankees and, and never came back. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, again, in player development yep. uh, for them. And then uh, it was it's great. I guess it must have been exciting for you to uh, then get back into the dugout and on the field. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, first base coach. I was going to ask you, too, if you're a, a player development guy and you have that background – 
if you're going to be on the field, is the is first base a good place? I always think like a guy comes up, you get to hit. Now this is a guy you might know. You now you're on first base. Do you have that conversation like, hey, you you, you had a good. You're evaluating that at bat. Is that a good opportunity there to do that when you're on the field like that? Well, I guess if you're the hitting coach, like I, yeah, yeah. I, I like to stay in my lane. So if, okay, if I'm not you. the hitting coach, I don't, I don't right. talk to the hitters. Yeah. Um, but if you're the first base coach, now the responsibility is running the bases. So you might talk about a guy's move. You remind them of the outs, where the outfielders are playing, what the situation in the game is, that type of thing. So, um, yeah, I think, I think every job has a lot of value. And if you really take pride in that job, if you really like Paco Figueroa for us, he takes great pride in being a first base coach and he's tremendous at it. So he knows pitchers moves down to a T. Um, he knows what to talk to the guys about when they get to first base, about the outfield arms and where they're positioned and what the situation is. And let's be aggressive going first to third right here. Make sure or make sure you don't make a third out at third base. Those, those types of little keys and, and, um, yeah, if it, whatever job you have, if you take pride in it, there's there's a lot of things to do. Yeah, we had, we had Dusty on uh, yeah, yeah a few weeks ago, and uh, same you can just tell. I mean, Dusty, you know, it was it, we had him on right after there was a big play that yeah. he, he was a it's big perfect part timing, of. Yeah. But um, great example, I guess, Dusty at third base, and and knowing you know the outfielders and knowing the guy's speed. And yeah, and, and Dusty's another guy that takes great pride in it, and he's. Yeah. Yeah, I've said ever since the first time I met Dusty, I said, this guy should manage in the big leagues. And I truly believe that. I mean, he's had so much success at the minor league level. He's managed so many games. Um, he is great with with young players. He's great with the veterans. He knows the game. He knows the rules. Uh, he He needs to get a shot. Now, in 2008, um, Joe Girardi gets uh, the job with the Yankees, hires you to be the third base coach, I believe. No, it was or, bench no, coach. Bench coach, right. Bench yeah. coach, because then he went third base, then he went back to the bench coach. Yeah. So you had a long career. You followed Joe Girardi, the whole, whole, his whole tenure yeah. at the Yankees. What was, what was uh, coaching under Joe like? It was great. And, and, um, so as Except for when you beat us in 2009. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. We, we got to kind of get by that somehow. <laughs> We're going to get by it. <laughs> but Joe, Joe's the type of guy that lets me do my job, and, and all I'm trying to do is, is make sure that we're organized on a daily basis. So I set the schedule as a bench coach and, and, then, and then make sure that everybody's prepared, including the coaches, the, the players, um, and then just be able to – give the manager as much information as I can during the game and, and throw ideas at him and whatever he takes, he takes whatever he doesn't want. That's fine. But I got to keep coming with ideas and, and information and uh, just to make sure that, that he's prepared and I just got to take care of him. And it, it was great. Cause Joe just let me do my thing, you know? And, um, uh, I, I did all the prep work and all the organizing and, and I loved it. And there's just gotta be such a trust factor, right? Yeah. Especially when someone you're aligned with somebody, um, and you know, talk about too, the, the difference of, you mentioned bench coach, bench coach, you're basically like the informational officer, right? You're, yep. you're getting all the input, uh, and then you go to third base and that's a different, you know, yep. where you, where you're again, studying the outfielders, you're studying the speed, you're waving people through, you're doing a lot of signs, right? So yep. did you, what, did you, I imagine bench coach is probably more, did you like that more or, or did you like both the same? I really like coaching third base because okay. I felt like I was like kind of the 10th guy on the field. Cause you, 
a lot of times third base coach has more decisions to make than the manager does. Hmm. Um, just with base runners and things. And you're right out there in the, in front of 40,000 yeah. people <laughs> yeah. making decisions, you know? So um, I like that aspect of it. Um, I, I really felt energized when I was coaching third base. Um, but I also like the, the bench coach side of it too, where it's information, it's looking at film, looking at the computer and watching, you know, who runs, who doesn't run, bunt plays, pickoff moves, all that stuff. So I like both sides of it, but... Um, you know, being a third base coach, I, I really enjoyed it because it's exciting. Well, you were the third base coach in 2009. Let's get it out of the way. <laughs> and uh, uh, you must have great memories from that season. Um, going into that s- series against the Phillies, um, what did you think? Did you think it was going to be a, a great series? Uh, were you, I hope you were scared of the Phillies a little bit and uh, Charlie Manuel's club. I thought I thought, <laughs> uh, I thought it was going to be a great series. I really did. And um the first game, I think Cliff Lee started game one and, and really pitched well. And I, I Chase Utley obviously had a yeah. good game too. And uh, they had a great club. And, and so we, I felt after the first game, I was a little bit nervous because we didn't hit, and, but uh, we won the second game. And, and so we took the train over here. And I always tell this story. We took the train over here uh, from New York on an off day. So we went to um, Penn Station, I guess it is. And, you know, there's playoffs, World Series. We got 12 buses, you know, all the front office people and all the families. And so we, we pull up to Madison Square Garden, and, and there's there must be 5,000 people there with Yankee wow. hats on, and they're yeah. all cheering. And, and so we go down and the, get on the train. We go over to Philadelphia. We come out, and there's 5,000 Philly fans booing and throwing <laughs> stuff at it. It, nice. was, it was great, and I thought, this is, this is baseball, you know? <laughs> well, you know, when we uh – the year before we had played Tampa Bay and uh, it would have been, I think they played Boston, I guess, in yes. the ALCS. And uh, I was like, wow, that would have been pretty cool too. Philly and Boston. Right. So I think in 2009, we felt, yeah, we're playing the Yankees now. This, this is good. This yeah. is, this is baseball. That was baseball. It really yeah. was. It was, and it was a great series. And really he had Pedro cool. on the mound and yeah. Yeah, there's just a lot of drama in that yeah. uh, playoff. And I mentioned Charlie, uh, had you, had your past crossed uh, with Charlie at all uh, when you were in the minor leagues no or? not in the minor leagues but you know just just being uh in spring training okay. all those years and just watching him from across the field I always had great respect for him because I, I i could see how he well how he ran the game which was unbelievable but also just his relationships with the players and yeah. how he got along with them and and so i'm always watching that stuff and and uh yeah so much respect and i think he's just a tremendous man and tr- tremendous baseball man so then in 2018, Gabe Kapler gets hired as our manager, brings you over. So you just went from the Yankees organization. Now you're coming and you're going to be bench coach under a uh, first-time manager. Yep. So what was that like, you know, being – you're the, now the experienced guy, you know, that's, that's been there, and you're helping Shepard guide, you know, a young manager. Yeah, it was, um, it was interesting because – Gabe was such an, a great person. I mean, a great person. And he was another guy that just kind of let me do my thing. And, and he just kept saying, just tell me about what you see and what you do and how to act and how to do this and how to do that. And, and, and what he taught me was a lot of the analytics stuff. And, and I'm not, I'm not, I think with the analytics, you have to be sort of have some balance, you know, you've got to, you've got to take the human side and, 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 factor in the analytics 
with it. But um, so he taught me a lot about that. And I think I taught, I, I not taught, but I, I guided him on certain things on how to do certain things and, and deal with players and, and deal with a bullpen and things like that. So I think it was a good match. And, and I love Gabe. I really do. Yeah. And, uh, and then of course you, you get the big job, uh, running the club. Um, a lot of, uh, I guess you take from everybody you've learned, you know, yep. uh, from little league to your brothers to, yep. you know, how you are, um, how you handle certain situations, but you also have Joe Torrey and Joe Girardi and Gabe Kapler and, and, and managers maybe who you've been around. Uh, is that been your experience that you're just taking from everybody? No doubt about it. Uh, no doubt about it. I'm one of the biggest thieves on, on the planet. <laughs> you have to be. That's right. And my dad, my, when I was a kid, my dad said, you know, life is like, like you're going, you're walking through a forest and all the trees are, are people that you meet and you've got this bushel basket and, and you take a leaf off of this tree and you take a leaf off of that tree. And they're just ideas from people and things that you see. And by the time you're, you're through the forest, that's who you are, hmm. you know? And, and, and that's kind of the way I've lived my life is that I just learn from people. I learn good things. I learn some bad things from people, you know, just by watching and listening and, and, you know, just paying attention. And I imagine as a bench coach or a third base coach, you know, you have a specific job when you're the manager, you're the CEO. So did that give you more time to kind of build relationships with the players and kind of, yeah. you know, cause you, again, you're in your own little lane um, when you're coaching, but when you're the manager, yeah. you're, you're, every, you're dealing, you're the CEO. So you're dealing with the front office, you're dealing with your own coaches, you're dealing yeah. with the players, everybody. Yeah. So there's a lot less time preparing. So I have to rely a lot of that. I have to rely on my coaches for a lot of that. And, um, now my job is to get out in the clubhouse and, and get a relation, better relationships with all the players and really get to learn, uh, know them. And so they trust me and we have this mutual trust and yeah. And, and then there's the front office and, and there's, you know, the media. Um, I, I kind of feel like I'm the conduit between, um, the play, the club and the fan base. So, um, you know, I, I take a lot of pride in that and making sure that the information is getting out and it's getting out in a very professional way um, and that there's no animosity. We just, you know, tell what tell them what we're doing, because that's it's going to the fan base. And, and we want as many of these passionate fans in our in our building as we can get every night. And I got a question just on the you know, the, the bullpen last couple of years has been a struggle and even in the, the first half of this year for a good amount. But I tell you what, since you've taken over and I don't know whether it's coincidence or, or it's, you know, the players, they're seeing more of a defined role, but the bullpen's just been lights out, uh, knock on wood. Cause I don't want to jinx anything, but, yeah. um, but I mean, is that, what, what do you describe or how do you, what do you attribute that to? Um, I, th I think, We've always had good arms, and, and these guys are really filthy down there, every, every one of them. And I think we've, we've tweaked them a little bit by putting them in, in different spots and, and understanding um, where they should pitch in the game, whether it's the inning or the, the part of the lineup that, that fits them best, and, and kind of sticking to that plan as, as much as you possibly can so that they have success, so they get confidence. And, and also the fact that, you don't want to overuse guys, but also you have to make sure that you're, they're getting uh, the proper innings. So you don't want a guy sitting down there for seven days and then expect him to come in and perform. So you got to make sure that you're getting guys in the game um, 
at a time in a timely way. Yeah, well, it's working. Hey, uh, Rob, I'm not sure if uh, John told you, but you are about to be quizzed about your life. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> you know, this is, this is important stuff. Well, yeah, and before we get to the quiz, I, I've got a complaint here Go because ahead. we're all the same age, and I, don't, I see like maybe five gray hairs, right? Well, you're you're the leader in the clubhouse. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> you're getting more sprinkled as we're uh, going through this podcast here. But I, that, how, I, how get, does, I get my hair cut. I don't think I'm really that great. You go in and get your hair cut, and they always put like the black smock right, on you, and then by the end of it, you're looking down like, well, whose hair you've been cutting for the last 15 minutes? That's not my hair. I know. Well, yeah, and it's, it stinks now because when I get a haircut, they put the mirror in the back to see if the back you know, oh, it's got right big and I'm, back I'm there. like you know what I never see that bald spot I don't want to see that bald spot <laughs> another divot so congratulations on the, on the, uh, on the full head of hair and yeah. the dark hair come see me after the world series <laughs> yeah. exactly right thanks for the visit let's get down to business now here's your chance to show how much you really know he might get grumpy if he can't stop you with Brazier's Quiz. All right, Rob, so as, as uh, Tom said, I give everyone a quiz. This is the last part of your interview. Uh, it's all about your life. So you have an inside track, right? There's eight questions, multiple choice. And you have one lifeline. Tom is your lifeline. He doesn't know the questions that I'm asking. I'm okay. usually So if you need to lifeline. use a lifeline, you can use him. But okay. he, he won't know anything because it's about your life. Um, Tom, what's the bar that we set? Got to get six of eight. Uh, Rob, how old are your kids? You're, you're probably older kids that. Yeah, 31, 26. <laughs> so, so fanatic so, kids books so isn't going to. Kids books probably not going to. Do you have any great, you don't have any grandkids, do you? No, no. All right. Uh, well, we'll, 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 we'll get, find something. We'll, we'll find something. We'll, we'll drop off a little prize pack for you uh, <laughs> if you get six out of eight. All right. Uh, you, as we mentioned, you go, uh, were born in Sarnia, Ontario, but I guess you grew up in Karuna? Karuna, yeah. Karuna. Yeah. Um, so. And Sarnia, by the way, uh, Tom, is the uh, largest city on Lake Huron. I don't know if you knew that. I did not know that. Not know that. So how about that? <laughs> All right. So which of these celebrities were not from Sarnia? There's three celebrities that are from Sarnia, or at least spent some time, were born. Yep. And one had nothing to do with Sarnia. Okay. A hotbed okay. of celebrity is Sarnia, huh? There is a hotbed of celebrity. <laughs> well, that? put it this way. There were so many hockey players. I could have gone, yeah, uh, I could have gone yeah, hockey, yeah. hockey, hockey, but I, <laughs> I tried to diversify here. So, all right. A, Rick Moranis, who's, you know, comedian, actor. Yep. Uh, B is uh, golfer Mike Weir, who's a 2003 Masters champ. Uh, C is curler Steve Bice. And D is Steven Stamkos, the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning superstar. So is it Rick Moranis, Mike Weir, Steve Bice, or Steven Stamkos, which is not, has nothing to do with Sarnia? Steven Stamkos, well... Born or nothing? Nothing to do with, to do with Star- Sarnia. Okay, Rick Moranis. Rick Moranis is correct. Dang. Well, that was a curveball you were throwing there. What do you mean? Well, not born, but well, had. I just I knew it was Sarnia. He had either born or right. lived there. Had to do, and he was right there. Rick Moranis. Rob, Rob nailed it. He nailed it. So, all right, we mentioned that you played a couple of years at University of Kansas, where he once uh, we mentioned that he held the record for highest single season batting average. Still might hold that. Which of these former Phillies did not? play at Kansas. Mm. Now, they, they might have had a cup of coffee with the Phillies, but nevertheless, they put mm-hmm. on a Phillies big league uniform. Yeah. Good question. Uh, so, yeah. So, f- I'm going to mention four former Phillies. One did not play at Kansas. Uh, left-handed pitcher Mike Zagurski. Uh, left-handed is A. B is left-handed pitcher Les Walrond. C is Steve Jeltz, infielder. 
who I think is coming in for Alumni Weekend. Uh, and D is Kevin Stocker. So you have Mike Zagurski, Les Walrond, Steve Jeltz, or Kevin Stocker? Kevin Stocker. Kevin Stocker, University of Washington. Did you know yeah, the other three Washington. played at Kansas? Uh, not the second one. I knew Jeltz and Zagurski. Zager- I loved Mike Zagurski. Yeah. He was a great guy. Um, all right, question, you're two for two. Yeah. Uh, question number three, you were drafted in the 32nd round by the Tigers in 1985. Tell you what, Tom, that 1985 draft... Oh, my God. B.J. Suroff, Will Clark, Bobby Witt, Barry Larkin, Barry mm. Bonds, I think, Inky, Walt Weiss, Brian McRae, Tommy wow. Green, Joe McGreen, Craig Jeffries, Rafael Palmero, Joey Cora, wow. Dave Justice, really? Tino Martinez, I mean, Sheesh. Bobby Thigben, I mean, on and on. That was a... That was a great draft. Oh, yeah. Are you saying I, Rob would have been I, a first-rounder? I think if it I would have been. All those guys <laughs> yeah. were in there. Right. That's my point right there. That is a good point. Uh, but yeah. Who wasn't drafted that year uh, in 1985? One of these guys was not drafted that year. Uh, so, again, uh, this is adding to the – there's three guys that are going to add to that big yeah. list. Go ahead. Uh, Randy Johnson – Tom, I mentioned Tommy Green. <laughs> Randy Johnson, Tommy Green, Mark McGuire, Barry Bonds. Two of them, I think I mentioned already. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wasn't expected to go. You showed your hand right there. Yeah. So I guess basically it comes down to was Randy Johnson or Mark McGuire. I I think it was Randy Johnson. (laughs) Was was not not no. Mark McGuire was eighty four. Yeah. Randy Johnson was that year too. I mean, what a draft that was. Oh my. Yeah. uh, All right. You're all right. Uh, Your first minor league team was the Gastonia Jets. I well, believe. Yeah. Well, Bristol, one of the first. Bristol, yeah. I was in Bristol first. Bristol, and then no, went to Gastonia, Gastonia yeah. right? Uh, who was not a teammate in Gastonia that year? Uh, Ricky Cusack, Scott Brandreth, Ken Hill, Dave Meads. Uh, the second guy. Scott Brandreth. <laughs> yeah. The second guy. Our director of promotion. <laughs> that's our, that's our merch guy. <laughs> yeah. when, so when, in a couple of years when there's a Rob Thompson bobble doll, bobblehead doll, yeah, he's yeah. the one that's, he's the one. He got a little shout sorry. out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Three for four. That's good. You're batting 750. Here you go. All right. Number five. You managed the 1995 Oneonta, Oneonta, I say that right? Yep. Oneonta Yankees, short season A in Oneonta, New York. Who was not on that? team uh mike lowell frankie garland luke wilcox tom becker second guy Fra- <laughs> frankie garland who's our lawyer <laughs> all right you're gonna get to know all these guys now right through these quiz all right you are four for five three more uh when you became manager you should get this one because it was all over the news when you became manager this year you became the first canadian manager since this guy was it Bob Gibson, George Gibson, Mel Gibson, or Josh Gibson? Uh, George Gibson. George Gibson is Gibson. correct. Gibson, Nineteen twenty to twenty-two. <laughs> and speaking of that too, that must have been pretty cool because you were the first uh, Canadian manager to to manage in Canada. Canada. First manager from Canada to, to manage in Canada. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I mean, were you getting? I mean, were there tons of Canadian media? Yeah, there was quite a few, and like. I didn't see it as that big of a deal, but right, but, right. They, but they did, and, and that was fine. And I had a bunch of family and friends there, so it was good. Nice. Good. Nice. All right, you're on a roll. Uh, I think you're one answer away from qualifying Correct. here. Correct. Uh, number seven, JT Realmuto's uncle is a two-time Olympic gold medal winner, uh, world champion. Uh, he was actually one of the best wrestlers of all time, right? Yep. Uh, just accolade. Did you know that, Tom? I didn't know that. Yeah, John. 
<laughs> I just gave the answer. Uh, John Smith. You know what? You're going to get this because I was going to say, John, who, who was the uncle? John Cena, John Cena, Hulk Hogan, Bill Goldberg, or John Smith? You would have gotten Smith. that one right. Yeah. All right. There it's you. early in the morning. <laughs> it is Rob. early in the morning. I've only had one coffee. All right. Last one, Rob. And this is my favorite one. The Fanatic, since Tom's the best friends of the Fanatic, the Fanatic had a spy on the Dodgers back in the 80s uh, who would sneak a Tommy Lasorda jersey uh, out of the clubhouse and give it to the Fanatic so he could put it on a doll and then the, <laughs> the Fanatic would, would abuse the doll. And Tommy Lasorda, Tommy, loved it. Tommy Lasorda would go completely nuts. I don't know if you ever saw the Fanatic. He actually fought the Fanatic one time. Yeah, yeah. So it was one player on the Dodgers who would literally would sneak, say, Fanatic, here's the jersey. Yeah, don't yeah, tell yeah. anybody don't I gave it to you. Everybody. Right? So so let's see if you can guess who that was. Was that Dodger Oral Hershiser, Pedro Guerrero, Steve Sachs, or Dusty Baker? I would say Steve Sachs. Steve yeah, Sachs, correct. correct. That's did, a good you say, one, Rob. did you say that because you know Steve Sachs and like, no, that would be part no, of the. I just, I thought it was either going to be Sachs or um, there was another guy on the club that um, was kind of a. Wacko. Yeah, funny guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did a lot of jokes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he went seven for eight. Yeah, it's pretty not bad, good. Rob. Very right. well Anybody done. Anybody ever go eight for eight? Yes, I think we had uh, Mike Tolan. I think Ruben. Ruben did it too. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, Stanford guy trying to show off. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, thanks, Rob, for uh, being our guest. Um, John was complaining that, uh, you know, it's way too early in the morning. It's like, yeah. And it's like, well, what's Rob? You know, why does he get here? All you got to do is fill out a lineup card. I mean, (laughs) why does that take? I didn't say that. I might have said that. You said (laughs) What, to take eight hours to fill out a lineup card? We're here at nine in the morning. He's wondering what you had to do to be the best friend of the fanatics so. nothing <laughs> <laughs> but we appreciate you coming on uh, let's keep the good times going rob yeah we're looking forward to the second half of the season yeah i really really enjoyed it and i, I appreciate you having me on yeah thanks rob all right thanks rob and we'll be back right after this and we're back philly's backstage john uh, that was great. That's is that that's the first time we've had a sitting manager on our podcast. That is true. He was sitting too. <laughs> he was sitting. He was the sitting sitting manager. Yeah, and I think he's a little upset too that uh, you you questioned what why he needs to be in so early because <laughs> all you have to do is fill out a lineup card. <laughs> So that might be the last time we get a sitting manager. <laughs> <laughs> well, it looks like he's work. He gets a workout in. I, w- I wanted to ask him, like, oh, what are you going to do for the next, you know? Yeah, he just said he's going to go work out. Yeah. And then I, then he gets to work. And he gets to work. He said he has a meeting at 12, so I guess uh, meets with coaches, and they talk about baseball, I guess, right? Yeah, they talk about the strategy. <laughs> right. And yes. go over the relievers and starter who's facing us tonight. Right. And the star is a young guy, right? Strider, I think his name is. Okay. Then may, they, maybe they pop in Bull Durham and, and watch that. <laughs> sure. Yeah, of <laughs> uh, Play Stratomatic. <laughs> uh, well, that was great, though, because, you yeah. know, it's, it's cool when we were talking about it, you know, during the break that, you know, I think fans see, you know, Rob, you know, that post-game press conference, and it's, it's baseball, and it's just, you know, kind of the, you know, same questions it can be like every night so right. it's, it's kind of fun talking hockey and broad street bullies you know yeah and i, I also <laughs> love learning the the story of someone's journey yeah, especially yeah. in baseball where it can happen you know you know joe here's joe girardi joe girardi was a great player right and then he went it was probably easier for him to transition into the coaching realm because of his name recognition 
you know, someone like Rob Thompson who played three years in the minors, you know, he's someone that's got to build up that resume and, and learn on the player development side, learn on the coaching side. And I just love the fraternity aspect of baseball where he mentioned, you know, he's in the Tigers, coaching the Tigers uh, system. Then he goes over to Russia and he meets this yeah. guy, and then the guy, he works with the guy, and then the guy's like, hey, why don't you come over to the Yankees? And then that changed his whole life. And then he gets, you know, with Joe Girardi, builds a great relationship with Joe Girardi, you know, for all those years. And then the, the, it's just so funny. Then comes over to the Phillies, gets hired as Gabe Kapler's bench coach. He gets fired. Then Joe, Joe Girardi, Girardi comes back. So Joe, Joe Girardi comes back into his world. So yeah. it's just, it's, I love that, that aspect of baseball. Well, it's a, and it's a small community, I guess, relatively speaking, baseball is. But isn't that life, John? It is, it is, it is. unbelievable yep. because really you go through and it's like, you know, just it's a timing and you're at the you know, right place at the right time. It's somebody you met and, you know, it's crazy how things work out. It's crazy. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and but let's talk about before the All Star break. Yes. Uh, we've had because uh, I know the fanatic uh, and you and myself are big fans of a couple bands because yeah. uh, we we yeah. talk music sometimes on this podcast. But Los Lobos is one of our bands we All both time. like, right? Uh, and also um, we love Tedeschi Trucks. Now Tedeschi Trucks, Susan Tedeschi uh, is kind of like a, I would say like almost like a a young Bonnie Raitt. Yep, right, kind of has sure. that uh, bluesy yep. rock and roll. Great guitar player too. She marries Derek Trucks, and I know both of us are huge Almond Brothers fans. Yes, Derek's uh, uncle Butch Trucks was the original member of the Almond Brothers. Derek, who's uh, if you ever want to see a video yeah. of when he was 13 years old wearing an Atlanta Braves cap at playing at some festival, yeah. and he's cranking out uh, Layla on a slide guitar, yeah. and it was just crazy. Yeah, he looked, prodigy. He looks like player. just a tiny, he was a tiny kid. I read Eric Clapton's uh, autobiography, and he said, Derek Trucks is the greatest living guitar player right now. So I, you know, he, he's I would, awesome. I wouldn't yeah. argue. And, and yeah. I got to say, those two, so they came to a Phillies game. Um, <laughs> this is great. So Los Lobos, as you know, I, I've got to know, become friends with their sax guy, Steve Berlin, mm-hmm. who's also a world famous from producer. this area, right? He's from this area. He's yeah. also world famous producers, worked with tons of other bands, but he is the sax guy for Los Lobos. So I've gotten to know him. Big Phillies fan. Uh, and for folks who don't know, like Los Lobos has been around for over 50 years. Yes. East L.A., they did the remake of La Bamba, yep. you know, so. Uh, they do the version of La Bamba that most people know. Yes. Uh, Richie Valens, they don't even know Richie Valens anymore. Yeah. It's all. You know, Los but Lobos. a great band. Great yeah. band. So anyway, they, they came to a They were opening up for Tedeschi Trucks at the Man. So uh, we invited him to come to the game. So both bands came to the game. It was great. Uh, and here's so I brought uh, Los Lobos gets there first. And I said, hey, before the game, I said, do you want to get a picture of the Fanatic? Sure. So I take the band down. Uh, and the Fanatic knew, right? The Fanatic knew the Los Lobos was, was going to be, uh, in, was the gonna be in the but building, but didn't, didn't know correct. that I was bringing them down yeah. to, to meet the Fanatic. Right. So I bring the band down where we get down to the service level. The Fanatic had just finished up uh, the national anthem, and I knew his route. He takes gets on his four-wheeler up the right field ramp, then comes down to the service level, past the clubhouse, and he pulls around. And again, he was surprised. And I said, hey, Fanatic, look, it's Los Lobos, right? And what does the Fanatic do? He kind of gave the old whoop de doo John. <laughs> he twirls his index finger around and goes, whoop de doo He doesn't say that because the Fanatic doesn't talk, but he gave that look the of like, cracked up. Oh, yeah, because, you know, he, the band is probably expecting it, like, oh, my God, it's Los Lobos. Yeah. And you give the, or the Fanatic is the old whoop de doo right? I had to speak for the Fanatic and say, don't mind the Fanatic. You know, he really is excited, and I'm excited to meet you guys, you know. Right. So. so then the other awesome. part of that story is in the fifth inning, 
uh, Tedeschi Trucks wanted to meet yeah. the Fanatic, which is great. They, how about these big rock and roll stars want to meet the Fanatic? So I, uh, first of all, Susan Tedeschi and Derek Trucks might be the nicest people. Not Absolutely. Just, not just celebrities, just just yeah. two of the nicest people, engaging. Just uh, And Derek Trucks' brother uh, played for the Phillies Little League team. And they grew up in Jacksonville, uh, Florida. His favorite baseball team is the Phillies. Yeah. Like, he loves the Phillies because he was on the Phillies for so long in Little League. Yeah. And his dad's a Phillies fan as well. I guess that's Butch's brother, right? Yes. So his dad's a big Phillies fan. So I took Derek into the uh, New Era store, and we got him uh, We got a, a, one of those powder blue. He had a smile on his face the whole time he was here. It was yeah, great. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. So anyway, so I take it. We're, we're waiting for the Fanatic to finish up the fifth inning. So we are at the front desk where Kelly and Walt sit, right? Front desk of the Phillies. And we're watching on TV because we had to, we were going to go down right after the Fanatic routine. Well, the, the Fanatic was doing a routine of Elton John and was in a, like a, boy, the pink, yeah, purple, purple uh, long rock jacket kind of. Yeah. Right, rock yeah. jacket. So Susan says, John, why is, what, what's the Fanatic wearing there? And I said, well, uh, the Fanatic is uh, doing a Elton John uh impression and he's you know playing a little mini piano because Elton John is going to be playing in concert here in like you know in less than a week they're promoting tickets promoting tickets right yeah, so yeah. she says and she says this in such a matter of fact way she says Derek didn't Elton just text you um, you ought to tell him that you're going about to get a picture with the fanatic in an Elton John <laughs> outfit and, I, and she said it so matter of fact and I'm sitting there going well, what world am I living in where the, a person I'm with basically texts you know freely yeah. with Elton John I love that they're talking about the fanatic and it reminded me of a story John when the when the uh, Elton John came to the vet he was doing a uh, concert with Billy Joel it was one of the first times the fanatic went out and you know he had Billy Joel singing to him you know which was great but a roadie told the fanatic that Elton John always has these stuffed animals in his limo. When he drives around, he's got like these plush dolls. And he used to have a Philly fanatic doll and it's it, and he couldn't find it. Like coming to Philadelphia, <laughs> it, it was a conversation where he said, oh, that mascot, you know, uh, for the Phillies. And uh, where is, where is, I usually have that. And he couldn't find it. So the fanatic actually got a new doll, signed uh, to Elton, Philadelphia Freedom, uh, Phil- shine on me, Philadelphia Freedom, shine on me, signed the Philly Fanatic, gave it to the roadie. The roadie put it, r- I watched him do it, he put it right in Elton's limo that's on, that was on the service level ready to leave because, you know, they whip these guys right. out once they're done, you know, their concert and they get in the car. And he put it right in the limo, right in the back uh, seat of, so when Elton John was done that night, he had his, his Fanatic uh, doll. Where do you in think that doll is right now? <laughs> Probably with about a gazillion other uh, plush dolls <laughs> in a closet somewhere. With Mr. Know? Met and every other stadium he played in? <laughs> no, but that, John, that was such a cool day. That's you know, awesome. I, I don't post a lot of stuff on Facebook, but you know, I had to post those pictures that we took with Los Lobos and uh, Susan and Derek. It was All awesome. right. Also, during the, uh, you know, it's, it's what did you do during your summer break, right? Yes. You kind of, so for you, you went out to LA, speaking yeah, of stars. Even before that, yeah, because I, I hung out with Fanatic out in LA, but before that, it was an unbelievable time uh, in terms of music because uh, I went and saw Let- Leonard Skinner down Atlantic City, and then I went to see Elton John, who was unbelievable, John. I mean, and the place was packed, and, you know, it's last time in Philadelphia, so that was awesome. And then it culminated Sunday at the Man Music Center. Our boy Jackson, Jackson Brown. Brown. Yeah, and it was uh, awesome. your boy. Yeah, well, you're a I, huge yeah, Jackson, like Jackson fan. Brown, and uh, yeah, it was almost three hours, two sets, played everything. No, couldn't play everything, but uh, great show. And I saw Cheryl Crow, and the reason why I went to see Cheryl Crow at Parks I forgot to ask was you about that. Uh, I'm friends with uh, his uh, Cheryl Crow's bassist, hmm. right? So Robert Kearns used to be in Leonard Skinner, ironically enough, and huh. was in a band called the Bottle Rockets. 
So we went, saw, and I went because of him. Uh, I haven't seen him in a long time. And I got to tell you, every, I knew every song that Sheryl Crow. You know, you ever go to a concert that you're, I don't know, maybe you're, you're dragged by your wife or someone. She's awesome. Yeah. And, she, and you're going to know all this. And her new music is good. Yeah, you forget how many hits she had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I got to watch, there's a documentary on her. I got to watch that. But uh, yeah, yeah, so we went backstage and uh, nice. hung out, told stories. Uh, Look at us. It was so. a great music uh, time off. But yes, I went to uh, L.A. All-Star Game. You know, the Fanatic's been to every All-Star Game down since 1996. Does the Fanatic so, love L.A.? Uh, uh, no, no, it, it felt a little weird being there. And okay. it felt weird for the Fanatic. I mean, I talked to him. He wasn't he likes real to be, keen. Because he likes to be the star? And there's too many stars no, out there? No, he just was thinking of, you know. Dodgers? Uh, yeah, Ron Say. Black Monday. And Bill Russell. Yep. and. Yeah, all Tommy those Lasorda. tool bags. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dusty Baker played back, you know. Yeah. For, uh, so yeah, he, there was some. He had mixed emotions, but it was cool. You know, he did the uh, the home run derby, and they announced all the mascots. All the mascots, just about uh, all the mascots were there, and uh, the fanatic got. A huge reception, which there were a lot of people yelling at the fanatic, hey, you know, Thomas Florida wants to see you, you know, so he got a lot of that in L.A. Uh, and then he worked the red carpet, and that's more the fanatic speed, you know, he, he belongs on a red carpet. He did that Tuesday, and then he got a chance to go to the game. Tuesday so night. which celebrity was the fanatic most excited to meet out in L.A.? whether it's baseball or whether it's music, because I know there's a celebrity all-star game out there. So there had to have been some celebrity that the Fanatic met that was excited to meet. I'm trying to think. It was, uh, he didn't have too many runs in with celebrities, no? John, really? as a matter of fact. Yeah, yeah, the players, yeah, not even really. Sometimes the Fanatic will interact sometimes with the players before, uh, you know, during, before the home run derby, but uh, not as much this like time The Fanatic around. didn't even pay homage to Albert Pujols or anybody? Yeah, because you know he was on the red carpet before the players came through. So uh, yeah, it was it was a weird year that year because you would think yes, it's in L.A. and yeah. you're going to see stars everywhere. And uh, yeah, he didn't run into too many. Well, stars. I got to say, I saw the list of the celebrities, and at, that's when you know you're getting old. When yeah. you know wait, when we had it in 1996, yeah. you know we had LL Cool J, we had all kinds of like big celebrities that we yeah. we knew every one of them. Now there's so many celebrities that are, I guess. <laughs> You know, maybe they're influencers. I was just going to say. Or they're DJs. Yeah, yeah. TikTokers. Or they're, or they're on some TV show right, right. that, I, you know, on Netflix that I don't watch. And, you yeah. know, so it's, uh, you kind of start to feel old that yeah. you don't know who the celebrities are anymore. They're playing the softball It's a little odd. And, uh, you know, having Kyle Schwarber out there, I was going to ask Rob. I wonder what he thought. Like, you know, it's certainly Kyle Schwarber's decision to be in the Home Run Derby. But, you know, uh, you know, it could mess up your swing. And I wonder if, you know, Rob, like, had an opinion in, in terms of secretly he probably didn't want Schwarber to participate in that. Well, I'm sure he's glad that Wheeler or Nola, who definitely should have, you know, had the, had their numbers to make the team. For sure. I'm sure he's really glad they didn't make the team. Yeah. And you're probably right a little bit. And I, and I think Schwarber, I don't think he laid down for, for Pujols, but you know, I think, I think. Yeah. If you're going to lose the way he lost was perfect. Right. And I let, let Pujols. Pujols. Not that he let him, but right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think so, but. Well, it was a good time. Uh, that's it. And, and it's, it's weird, John. We're, it, the All-Star game is like a week later, so we're already, you know, heading into August here. So. I know, and you know what? We're going to have uh, Alumni Weekend coming up, and it's going to be a be big, great. big weekend with, yes. uh, you know, we're going to have a, a Coca-Cola Mike Schmidt replica ring. On Thursday. World Series ring on Thursday. We're going to have a Dan Baker tribute on Friday. Okay. Yep. We're going to have Bake McBride and Ron Reed. Thanks Wall to of Toyota. Fame. You know, going into the Wall of Fame. Saturday. And on Sunday, Sunday. we're going to have the 1980 and on the other alumni. 
with special guest. Yeah, Pete Rose is going to be Rose. here, John. It's so, a big deal. Uh, yeah, Toyota sponsors the whole uh, weekend. Uh, so we are, the good news for us is that there's going to be a lot of potential guests for us to get. Uh, we might have to knock out a bunch of, um, I'm thinking maybe Marty, we'll try Marty Bystrom, some other guys. So, yeah, Marty. We'll we get into, talk to Marty We'll in a get while. into a lot of that 1980 talk. So For sure. Looking All forward right. to it. Let's, we have something to look forward to, John. Awesome. And some more wins. More wins. Come on, baby. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in, everybody. And uh, I guess we'll see you next time on Phillies Backstage.